Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. Joined this week with a special guest, Jason DiRienzo. Uh, you can find him over at All Purpose Scout on Twitter, Devi Watch, Scouting Academy, Big Play Anatomy. Continuing the guests here on UTH and, and really excited by, by having new discussions with new resources in the community. Uh, so here we are. We're going to talk a lot about prospects in 2021. We'll dabble in sort of evaluating players overall. Also have some fun questions, but this is the official podcast of UTH Dynasty. Com, home to over 250 premium podcasts. If you want to expand your listening beyond this weekly show, support it even a couple bucks a month over at patreon.com slash UTH is another great way to support what we do here in lieu of advertising that you won't hear every 34 seconds uh, like you do on some shows. Jason, great to have you. Uh, we already had a, a big conversation, found a lot in common with some of our background here and looking forward to, to mixing it up, talking about some prospects and, and otherwise with you here about looking for future NFL talent. Yeah, Chad, thank you for having me. And you nailed my last name. That usually doesn't happen on the first try. So I did congratulations, research. man. I listened to a few different appearances you did. did you? And I actually, I heard a couple different iterations, but I went with the most common pronunciation of who I deemed most appropriate. Who I was like, who would get it right of, of what I've listened to? Who is the most likely? Because I always think the when you, when you stumble through it, or if you ask the person before, yes, that's polite, but it's also a little, come on, do your research, try to get it right, do your best. Oh, it's the first thing that came to my mind as you introduced me. I'm like, oh man, look, this guy's thorough. Like, good job, Chad. He's nice. recorded at least three shows in his life. <laughs> <laughs> the Audible just uh, just celebrated 4,000 episodes. I started doing the math. I, pro- I probably recorded 2,500 to 3,000 in my, my podcasting career, uh, whether it's myself or with others. And uh, you get enough reps. I always tell anybody that starts a podcast, get it 50 under your belt, minimum 50. Mm-hmm. And then we can start talking about, hey, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think you know, I need to improve? Because you start pressing record five, six, seven times, you really don't know. I mean, we're kind of talking about our military background and some of our you know, past and sort of shaping your life you know, when you're still pretty young. And I think podcasting is similar, right? You need to reps. You need good reps before you even know, am I good at this? Do I like this? Uh, where do I need to improve? Uh, you know, just sort of like you know, three weeks into basic training, uh, you'll kind of figure out what you need to improve. No, absolutely, man, and I, you, you nailed it. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. That was awesome. Thank you. All right, I'm already, I'm already operating a, above a five out of ten level here. Um, so we're <laughs> gonna, we're gonna start out talking about uh, one of your featured players. I've seen you mention him on Twitter a little bit, and that's Elijah Moore. Um, mm-hmm. That he's a wide receiver. It's a deep class, and I always find wide receivers one of the more interesting ones to have takes on because there's so many, right? It, it, I think it's less predictable about where they go in the NFL draft. How will they be used in the NFL? Because you've got 20, maybe even 30 of them that there's someone who's a fan and, and, and highly so 
of, of basically any one of them. And running back, there's just a lot less that are maybe viable, you know, on a, in, a, in a given class. But Elijah Moore, I mean, we've got projected five, six, maybe seven in the first round. We usually get 10 plus in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. And Elijah Moore's right there out of Old Miss. So we're going to break him down a little more in depth, almost UTH player spotlight. We'll, we'll spend a few minutes on Elijah Moore. But what kind of struck you uh, with, with Moore as you started going through this draft process here in, in February? We know what it was a while back. And you talk about podcasting, you know, when LJ Cheney was on with me and we were doing the Debbie watch pod, um, forgive me. I don't know his new Twitter handle <laughs> off the top of my head. So sorry, LJ, but he brought up Elijah Moore a while back and I watched him and I was intrigued by him, but it was hard because he was also in the same offense as DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and even Van Jefferson who went in the second round. Dawson Knox. I mean, that, that was a, that was a tough way to really evaluate. But when I looked at his first year in Ole Miss, you know, he, he actually popped off for over 300 yards, had more receptions than DK Metcalf. Um, so there's something there to a player that can be the size that he is at like five nine, one eighty five, and still be able to find a role in the offense with, you know, multiple NFL talented receivers. And so I started watching him a little bit more and, you know, during his breakout year, there, there was a lot of just slot position, you know, uh, there wasn't much versatility to him. They, they primarily had him in the slot and be, behind the line of scrimmage and didn't change too much this year, but they used him more versatile this year. And I noticed that they had him on the outside. He was running go routes. He was running out routes. Um, he was running from the backfield. He was rushing. Uh, Ole Miss used him everywhere. He wasn't just primarily in the slot. And I made a big mistake with A.J. Brown when he was coming out. I loved him. But I also said he's just – I was the guy who said he's just a slot receiver. How is that going to translate? You know, but we've seen it translates. You know, we, we know that now. And I think the worst thing you can do now as an evaluator is be stubborn and not learn from your, from your mistakes. And I'm not going to be stubborn and I'm not going to make the same mistakes. There's something with Elijah Moore that I'm really intrigued by. You know, he's got good ball tracking. When I saw him go down the field, he's got great hands, good body adjustment. You know, he might not have the catch radius, but his ability to adjust to a low ball, a high ball, even a ball behind him is near elite for me. So I'm very intrigued with him. I think he's got the speed, the athleticism. There's, there's a lot to desire with a player where the NFL is changing and they're starting to use slot, but versatile players like him a lot more. Yeah, I think an interesting point you made, which is, you know, can you make an exception? Like, so like you mentioned, he didn't, he didn't do much in his first season. And mm -hmm. you, if you dig it more into why, right, that it's a loaded depth chart. I mean, he was basically in terms of the, the, the hierarchy and pecking order, he was wide receiver four. You know, Van Jefferson goes on day two. AJ Brown, we know his story. DK Metcalf. I mean, he's, he's trying to work his way up. And then at age 19, his second season, you see him blow up. You know, in terms mm -hmm. of uh, in terms of market share, and then he had another good year at age twenty. So you look at well, he didn't break out as a freshman at eighteen years old, but that is one of those rare cases. And frankly, you know, quarterback hasn't has been a struggle for Old Miss as well. So it's not operating like a Clemson, like an Alabama, where they just support all these guys. So it it and that was. Frankly, that was a little bit of a concern with DK Metcalf, right? Why didn't he produce more? Well, there's a lot of good players around him, and it wasn't truly a game-changing quarterback-centric offense, you know, that's a pedigreed program. So that was one of the limitations there. 
And Elijah Moore, you know, he was productive. Yeah, I, I will say he's he's top ten percent of my modeling. You know, which is just just on paper. Um, and a lot of that is because of how he produced that he broke out at nineteen years old. And I think one of his biggest perks, he's coming in at twenty one, and, yeah. and that and that's a huge deal if you can be twenty one point five or younger because it means you're a three year player. But it also means if you, especially if you're drafted high enough, that means you're excelling. What I always say is the phenom factor. You're excelling beyond your peers. It's not a situation that you're twenty three years old playing against 19 years old, you should have a huge advantage. I mean, that's like a high school senior versus a freshman, you know, or playing, you know, varsity, the varsity running back versus a linebacker that's on the freshman team. How do you think that's going to go? So <laughs> you have a huge advantage in this developmental stage. We talked, you know, before the show about developmental qualities between 18 and like 23, 24, 25, that a few years is a big deal. One year, a lot of times it's a big deal. And for more, the fact that he's 21 years old, you can say still developing, whereas a guy that's 23 or 24 entering, they, they should kind of be quote unquote pro ready because there's not a whole lot of physical probably maturation and development yet to go. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, we never know what's going on between the ears of a player. That's something we can't evaluate on film. But what you can tell is you know, a player is going to have good work ethic if you see year to year that there's improvements in almost every single category that they have, right? And especially in a year, I mean, oh, Miss DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Van Jefferson, Dawson Knox, Elijah Moore, they had Shea Patterson throwing them the ball and shade. Right. How do you mess that up when you have all those playmakers and <laughs> Shea Patterson still have like eight interceptions and like 12 or 13 touchdowns? That, that's or something like that. It was, it was ridiculous. So, there's so much context that we really need to take in the hand. I've become a lot more into the analytics, but I think you don't want to overlook things that are right there smack in front of you, right? I think the same thing with Rondale Moore. You got to look at the context involved with him as well. And the NFL is changing. Some, you know, I'm, I'm throwing the book out when it comes to the smaller receiver. If I see dominant traits and they play bigger than they are. And I personally think Rondale Moore plays bigger than he is. Elijah Moore plays bigger than he is, but I think Moore's the exception. I think we've noticed that his his strength and athletic traits are gonna be off be off the charts. Yeah, and and the big thing is if you're what I always say, there's a difference between small and short. Like Brandon Cooks, uh, Rondell Moore is another one, Jalen Reger, these guys that are short. And I think most people consider short below six feet, but especially if you're 5'10, 5'11, 5'8, that you are it's okay as long as you're thick enough because you got to be able to hang. That's one thing I had about Marquise Brown. Like you are short, but you're also your BMI, your thickness is so slight that you're going to have a, tr you're going to have a trouble taking hits, taking successive hits. How, how smart are you going to need to play? Cause you could get blown up. I mean, you're, you're basically, you know, we use that analogy. You're, you're kind of JV playing varsity, right? So that can work. Deshaun Jackson worked for a number of years, but he was also the fastest guy on the field and good luck catching that guy. And they ran him deep. <laughs> right. So, you know, yeah. and so it was like, can you touch me? So if you can touch me, you can tackle me, but good luck. Um, so that's, that's the interesting part. And one thing I would say, you kind of mentioned, you know, throwing out athleticism or, you know, not reacting so much to that wide receiver really for me. And I'm a data head at heart is the one position where it's a lot about production. If you product, what I say is if you produce in college, if you produce at 18 or 19, you know, early on in your spectrum, then you are producing beyond your peers. You're likely being guarded by someone that's older than you, more seasoned than you. So you're excelling beyond that. And it's a very nuanced skill position, you know, position going to the NFL that wide receiver has so much positional traits to it. Running back, 
let's face it, you're 17 years old and you've been excelling beyond your peers because why? You're 220, you run fast, and you can run people over, right? You've been doing it since you were eight years old, probably. You know, Najee Harris was running people over at, at you know at 11 years old, ninth grade, <laughs> you know, and then when he gets to college, like it just keeps happening. So yeah. I, I always find running back is sort of quote unquote, again, not to, you know, let's be humble about this, but it's the easiest position to scout. You see it, you know it when you see it with a running back. And with wide receiver, there's so much story or nuance to it of running a route, what kind of scheme, where are you going to play, the quarterback you play with, you know, and, and all these factors that I think athleticism is the least important at wide receiver. Can you win? And what's the proxy for that? Production. If you're productive, then it means you have something going on. If you run a slow 40 like Keenan Allen, you know, when he was coming out, what does that mean? It probably means you run great routes because if you're if you're not very fast and you're still turning guys around, you don't it, it just says you don't have to be a four four guy to 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 turn somebody around and catch a hundred balls a year. We've yeah, seen Alan Robinson. Alan Robinson, he's a he's a four six guy, you know, and right. he ran incredible routes. And we saw that. And so a lot of it, again, is, be, is between the ears, something we can't scout. But I, I think we overthink it too often. If it's right there in front of us and we see this guy's good, like if you tell yourself, man, this, this guy's good, you kind of got to throw, throw out all the junk that, that we start thinking to make this guy something that he's not, you know, to find the weaknesses. You know, it's, it's about what they can do. And that's something that we got to focus on. And I, I think when it comes to some of these smaller receivers that we have in this class, and there's quite a few of them, but they're very good and they were very productive. And there's some elite athletic traits that you just don't want to overlook and overthink. Well, I think another factor is look at where we are in the NFL. We're in now we, you know, we saw, we've saw it go back and forth in the 2020 season, especially in the postseason. of they were calling some stuff. Then sometimes they didn't in terms of how grabby can you be as a defensive back, but we're moving in the direction of you pretty much, uh, you know, one of the mantras in the military was no lay me Tangiri, which means touch me not. We're kind of in that <laughs> environment of, you know, if you get handsy, they can call it and they might call it 10 times that game. And pretty much you got to move your feet uh, as a defensive back. And so these smaller guys that can get on top of you quick and they run choice routes and all of a sudden they put you in motion all the time. Like the NFL offenses have such a big advantage that, you know, the bigger jump ball guys, they're going to be the ones that you really have to win on those because they're going to allow some contact. They're going to allow some draping all over your back and pulling your arm a little bit. But these smaller guys, they're, they have the advantage because they're not going to be running. They're not going to be in those situations. And that's not going to be how they have to win in the NFL. They're going to win because they're going to run away from you. So, you know, whether it's a five yard, uh, you know, five yard bubble or a 10 yard bubble or across the field. So I almost feel like this is the, a golden era, you know, Know, for the 5'10", 180-pound guys that if you're productive, you know how to win. This is the era of the NFL. It's not 20 years ago. It's now that, that you have the best chance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you kind of nailed it there. Uh, with the, the way the evolution of the NFL is changing, you know, a lot of these guys, though, that we're talking about, landing spot is going to be key because they do have to be used a certain way, just like you said. We got to get them in space. You know, or if they if they didn't play out wide in college, we can't expect them to play out wide against better competition, you know, against better defensive backs that are elite with their traits and think that they're going to be able to release and beat the jam if they were never put in that position, you know, in college. So 
that's why year three breakouts are a real thing. Think about starting a new job. How long does it take you to feel comfortable in a new job? Usually the first year is a complete disaster because you're still learning what you're doing and you're trying to gain chemistry with the people that you work with. Year two, you get comfortable. Year three, you know, this, I, I know what I'm doing now. I feel comfortable. I feel confident. Let's go out and get them. And that's a lot of times why, you know, we can't, I think NFL teams put players in bad positions and it really screws up their career from year one. So with some of these smaller guys that we're talking about, you know, it's, it's about landing spot and we just hope and pray that the coaching staff knows how to use them. So for Elijah Moore as an example in this, how do you view what the NFL ultimately decides? Are, are you going to look at fit? Is round two versus round four, round three, is that going to impact you know, how you rank them, how you value him, even though you can say, I like this player, are you going to adjust your sights if they if he ends up going lower in the draft or like you mentioned, maybe to a situation that you don't think he's going to be utilized or optimized, you know, to, to the highest level you would hope for, you know, to realize that ceiling in the NFL of usage. Is there like, what's that moving line for you in terms of here's what the NFL decides in April and here's the type of team they go towards if it's a packed up chart or a relatively wide open one, things like that, coaching and system. Um, how much variance is there going to be to your ultimate, you know, grade slash value on, on someone like Elijah Moore? That, that's a good question. I think with Elijah Moore and the reason why I'm so intrigued by him is because of his versatility. You know, he was able to be put out wide. He was able to be put in the backfield, used as a runner, put in the slot. I, I think that that is something that I am just so intrigued by that I'm not sure if there's going to be much movement. And if we talk about draft capital and we could talk about it all day, first round hasn't been very friendly to a lot of the receivers. I mean, second round really is the sweet spot. You could go into third round, even there's opportunity there. I, I am more concerned about the bus rate with first round receivers than I actually am. I'm more intrigued with guys who go into the second. And that's exactly where I kind of see a guy like Elijah Moore, maybe late second, early third, just depends on the need and how the draft is flowing. Um, Dan Hatman was on a podcast. Uh, Dan Hatman, the, uh, the head guy for the Scouting Academy, was on a podcast discussing this uh, with this NFL draft. And he was saying NFL teams are going to go with guys that have been productive. You know, the swing and the miss teams, they may be a little bit more conservative this year because they don't get the time with these players like they usually do. They don't get a combine. They don't get to talk with them. There's limited exposure to how they get the chance to know these kids and see them actually play right there in front of their eyes because of the situation that we're in. And I think for guys who have been productive over a few years, we're going to see them go a little bit higher than some of the guys we see with just upside and athletic upside that we're intrigued by. Is there a is there a wide receiver on the flip side that you think is a little overrated? You know, as we were early in the process, that you know that you see high up, or you've seen plenty of uh, of folks promote. You know, or maybe in, even consensus being a first round guy. You know, by by NFL standards, or in a lot of a lot of different rankers, top five or so. Is there is there someone that you think is is a little overrated right now based on what you've seen? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I've seen overrated because I think this is a great group of receivers. Um, and if we're just talking about receivers, you know, I, I'm a little bit concerned with Terrace Marshall. I, I like him a lot. I loved what I saw this year, but I can't negate the fact that there was, there was a lot of time that he was not on the field. And if you look at his overall production throughout his entire career at LSU, Devonte Smith was able to put that up in one year for what Terrace Marshall put up for his entire college career. 
Same amount of touchdowns with 23. Um, you know, Marshall is a guy that I'm very intrigued by. And again, you don't want to overlook what's right in front of you. But there were a lot of times that I got to recall where I'm like, man, this kid just needs to stay healthy and he needs to get on the field. And, and Justin Jefferson is, and Jamar Chase are, you know, kind of outplaying him. How good did he have to be to really become the guy in that offense? I mean, he had to be the primary weapon to really show what he could do. Um, I, I mean, if you look at the analytics, the profile, it's all there, but he's a guy I'm a little bit skeptical on. Yeah, he definitely has that, you know, and especially if we're thinking from a from a Debbie lens as well, or just a, a, a prospect evaluation throughout their career, Terrence Marshall was one that really wasn't on uh, a lot of, you know, moderate Debbie radars going through, you know, freshman to sophomore to junior. Mm-hmm. And now here he is. Like I have a bunch of Debbie leagues that he's available, you know, and, and there were some decent Debbie that were drafted over the last two cycles. He's available as a rookie and typically guys that fall through the cracks like that. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, you you get high value and high high uh, big time prospects. But Terrace Marshall is one from a major program, and he was a major recruit that that you know passed through this whole time. And sometimes it, it kind of makes you scrunch up a little bit and say, you know, what's the reason for that? Obviously, he had a loaded depth chart, record setting offense, but still, like you said, I mean, you'd rather more production than he has to date. You know, considering all the circumstances, that always kind of perks me up when someone kind of comes out from not you know just the relative ether of they weren't really on the radar coming in as a freshman and maybe not as much as a sophomore, but here they are and kind of discussed as one of the top players at their position for the, you know, their class now. Yeah. He was a big time recruit. I, he's fast. I, he is fast. Well, from what I've seen on the field, I think he would run very well at the combine. Uh, it, but it, again, it's just, you know, you got to learn from your mistakes and I've made mistakes with some of the guys who just come out of nowhere that produce and then I'm like, well, why, why didn't I see this before? It's always, why, where was this? And why were guys um, like Jamar Chase and Jeff- Justin Jefferson, what made them so much better that Terrace Marshall needed to be the sole target in an offense for him to really pop off and showcase what he can do? And that those are questions I start asking myself. Now, am I off Terrace Marshall? Absolutely not. But the but your question of who I think might be a little bit overrated based on some of the stuff that we're looking at and how I think NFL teams might look at him based on the past, uh, he he would fall into that category. But don't don't get me wrong, he's a very good receiver. What's the um what do you feel is your wheelhouse? Like of the skill positions, is there one where you just it seems to come to you scouting wise, evaluating wise, just a little bit easier and or a little bit faster than the other positions in terms of when you watch it, you see it and you just, you have a, a better feel for what translates to the NFL, say movement wise or, or spatially and skill set wise. Chad, if you notice, we haven't talked about any other position but wide receiver. So <laughs> that is, that is definitely the one that it's just kind of, posi- yeah, I was leaving that, the that's my baby. Okay. That's my yeah. baby. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. And I was going to actually ask you because we've, we've been talking about, you know, athleticism being maybe a little overrated, especially when it's pen to paper on, you know, what do they run? What's their three cone, all this stuff. So I'm wondering, you know, it, are guys like Rashad Bateman, uh, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, who neither of those guys seemingly have a ton of love. They're not overly, let's call them flashy players, right? We don't see a 42 vertical video like Randale Moore, you know, or a three, nine short shuttle coming out of those two guys, but they have been quality producers producers over the span of time and long-term so as centerpiece elements of their passing games. Are they the types where you say, 
Those are solid doubles as prospects. Those are guys that might be valued more by the NFL, as you mentioned, with just less maybe, uh, you know, sparkle and distraction this draft season, where maybe the process is going to be clarified towards tape, towards production, and and sort of streamline the process for NFL teams this year. Yeah, I think Rashad Bateman is a great example of teams that are going to feel comfortable with him. Um, I think some of the film may turn them away a little bit just based on, you know, just uh, consistency with hands, how he is uh, in contested situations. There were times where he's dominant and then there's other times he looks passive and some, he kind of leaves you hanging and asking yourself, you know, who, who is Rashad Bateman? But when you look at the routes, I mean, he, he's got that down. He's, he's just solid all around. And I, I feel like the solid players who have shown production, who have the traits that, I mean, honestly, you can, you can coach some of the flaws that he has. I mean, if I'm an NFL team, I'm very intrigued. But I still think that with that first round and the depth at other positions, you're going to see these guys in the mid, second, early third type area. And do, do we really care about that? I mean, as long as they fall in the third, like Brian Edwards did, and I jumped up and down, as long as he didn't get out of that third round range, do we really honestly care? I, I, I don't. As long as they're not in that fourth and later, Tyler Johnson broke my heart. But oh god, yeah, tell me about it. That that was a that was a tough one. And he can play though. He can play. You saw those plays he made down the stretch. He didn't get many targets. He got like ten targets, but he made seven plays on the eight targets. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yes. And another thing we talk about at Debbie Watch all the time: talent will always rise. It may take some time, but it will always rise. And look at the depth chart of the Bucks. And Tyler Johnson was still able to contribute as a fifth rounder. Unfortunately, and, you hear you hear Chris Godwin might be coming back. They might try to do that what they can salary wise to get super the super team back. But but yeah, Tyler yeah. Johnson's going to be one of those man. You're holding, you're holding, but you see it right. I mean, you, you see, see he showed he, us he was Batman and Robin right there with Rashad Bateman on that depth chart, you know. And oh man, yeah. And I would even say that Bateman Bateman looked a little bit more impressive than Johnson, and yeah. we were all on Tyler Johnson for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, a couple of years, and then it switched over yeah. to Bateman was the hot guy exactly yeah. and there was a reason for that and we yeah. don't want to forget what that reason was because he really is that good of a player and he's not going to go round five of the nfl draft like that's he's not really not. within the spectrum of outcomes and it was no. for tyler johnson we we're kind of hoping he goes round three right i'm glad you're out of brian brian edwards because he was my guy and he still oh, is my brian guy edwards. i love that guy and the injuries last year derailed him i felt i felt that there's a real golden opportunity i think he made two or three really nice plays in the first month and then he goes on the shelf and that was really a depth chart. I thought, you know, the, uh, the hot take was Brian Edwards is the wide receiver one, not, not Henry Ruggs, you know, despite the draft, the draft difference there. Um, so Brian Edwards is one of my favorites. And yet, because he fell to round three, he was affordable, right? You can get him late second mm-hmm. round of rookie drafts, early third round sometimes. And obviously in that zone, you could have got Chase Claypool. And right now that looks like the glaring, you know, right, quote unquote, right answer for short-term oscillation and big rise in value. But I still stand by Brian Edwards is a monster. And we'll see just like Tyler Johnson, a wide receivers can take it. You said year three breakout year four sometimes. And mm-hmm. it takes a while with, if you don't have round one, round two pedigree, it could be tough for you to be entrusted as like the number one or number two guy on a depth chart. Yeah. I mean, what did we really expect from these rookies with no off season? Yeah. You know, Brian Edwards didn't even get a chance to really showcase himself during the draft process. Then he gets on a team with no off season trying to build chemistry, but he was getting rave reviews in that small little type of preseason that we were getting with reports saying, Oh, he, he's standing out in practices. And well, we knew that 
you know, but of course it's going to take time. There's so much, there's so many moving parts to an NFL offense and so much you have to learn, you know, and then he has an injury to go with it. Yeah. I think he is the definition of a year three breakout type guy. I think he'll show something in year two, but I think year three lock and load him. I, I really believe that. Okay. And since we're talking about young NFL wide receivers, is there a guy? And so we have to exclude Brian Edwards because he qualifies under this question, but that's, you know, one year, two year, three year into their career. So young players still on their rookie deal, but things haven't gone well. Like, can you think back to a guy that you, you're either all in or almost all the way in on them as a prospect and saying, you know, I, I really love this fit. And yet it, for three years, two years, it hasn't worked out so far. And you're still kind of holding firm with your eval and saying, I still believe, you know, th- that these traits are still there. Just situationally, maybe it's injury. It just has not worked out. So this one kind of pains me a little bit. Um, Anthony Miller is that guy for me. I loved Anthony Miller coming out and I, there was so much to him and it makes you wonder what happened, right? Well, first off, he's on the bears. So that happened. Right. And then second off, he has Mitchell Trubisky, right? That, that happened too. And, you know, and he's in a coaching staff that has no idea what they're doing. I don't think he's being used properly. Darnell Mooney popped off, but I, I think there's a, I think there's a confidence thing that has happened to Anthony Miller because from what we know, and I, I'm, I'm sure you were intrigued by him, the analytics, it was all there for him coming out. But, um, you know, a- age is the issue for me, but I still think the talent is there, and I am hoping that the Bears do the right thing and let him go, free him, and let him find a team that will actually use him properly. I, I do believe in the talent with Anthony Miller. Yeah, I was I was a big on Darnell Mooney, um, and so he's the kind of the next one that you hope doesn't get limited or I'm going to say relatively speaking wasted with the Bears and and, and still with Anthony uh, Allen Robinson, right? You say, look at what he's had to deal with in his entire career. What 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 would his numbers be if he actually had a quote unquote good situation at some point, you know? And and they're like, oh well, he may come back, you know, to Chicago. I mean, this is his chance. This is your yeah. chance to go somewhere. Take a lesser money deal. You've already been paid, you know, a big contract once. This is your chance. If you want to post, you want to be a wide receiver one with a big time quarterback. This is your one chance probably, you know, let remaining, unless you go into, you know, 31, 32 years old and you're in, uh, you know, you're in that one year, two year, maybe finding a contender type mode potentially with a contract. But yeah, Anthony Miller has flashed, you know, in, in many games. And then you've got Darnell Mooney. I feel like both of those guys need more opportunity and, Allen Robinson not there is probably the quickest for 2021 vehicle to have that happen. I mean, I know neither one is a stereotypical, uh, prototypical number one wide receiver, but they both, you know, in their in their seasons have shown enough to say they need to have more targets than they've had. I completely agree with you. I mean, it's such a it's such a bad situation, but you nailed it with with I'm sorry with Allen Robinson. How good is he? that he's been able to overcome all the bad quarterback play. I mean, remove the remove Devonta Adams, insert Allen Robinson with Aaron Rodgers. Who are we actually talking about now? You know, he's that good. And so that that's that's just something I hope as a Bears fan, I shouldn't be saying that, but as an Allen Robinson fan, he deserves better. 
Yeah. And just, and this bears repeating, no pun intended that, you know, that connection between quarterback and wide receiver is a very strong one. I mean, like my research looking at, you know, this is like 12, 15 years of data. I mean, you cannot, your odds of being a wide receiver one or like a top six fantasy guy is so low with a bottom half quarterback. And frankly, you need a top eight quarterback. You need that tier one, as I say, the top eight first quadrant, and you've got a, a good chance. And even if you're the number two wide receiver on one of those elite quarterback offenses, you've still got a pretty good chance to be at the top 24, top 30 of the position. But yet, if you have a poor quarterback and Mitch Trubisky and others with the Bears certainly qualify in recent years, you're talking your wide receiver one, and this just shows Allen Robinson bucking the historical trend your number one wide receiver is typically like wide receiver 35, 40, 45. And then everybody else, again, I mean, good luck. You're in the 60s or 70s probably as an ancillary guy. And guess what? That's where Anthony Miller's been, right? 60s, 70s, you know, number two and not a, a spectacular one NFL-wise in how he's produced. And so the quarterback just really flows everything together, you know, from a, mm -hmm. what can you really expect? And Allen Robinson's overachieved those things, but that's why, you know, you get a quarterback upgrade. And actually, now that you, you, uh, you admitted, you know, I'm a bears fan, you know, that's been, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure tough and many ups and downs there, but what are you thinking in terms of uh, the quarterback situation? Are you rooting for that uh, Carson Wentz potential trade to go through? Are you hoping something else occurs? What, what's kind of a best case reasonable option here? The best case reasonable option for me is the Bears need to get younger. And I don't think that bringing in Carson Wentz, who has you know shown that he's regressed, He's dealt with injuries. I'm glad to hear that nobody's offering a first. That, that was music to my ears. Um, a second, you know, I'd be okay with that, but I don't think he's the answer. I think you have to bring in a young quarterback. If you're going to use draft picks, use them to move up and grab a guy that you truly can believe in and depend on that has upside, right? And if, if, I'm, if, if I'm the Bears, I would do everything I can to get Justin Fields at this point. One, because NFL teams seem to be off of him. They, they're worried about the accuracy issues. They're worried about the decision-making. Um, I think the biggest issue that the Bears did was keeping their coaching staff and general manager. That was, that was stupid. You're going to let them swing and miss again. Now, what were you thinking? We got Jason so, fired up now, talking Bears. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you made a huge mistake, Chad. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I, think the, I think the number one thing is you, you build through the draft. And I think at this point, they need to get a young quarterback that they can get into the building get get going and um, not waste time on a quarterback or quarterbacks that we've seen in the NFL that, that just haven't made. There's a reason for that. And I'm sorry, I just don't believe in the coaching staff to do what the Titans were able to do with Ryan Tannehill. I just don't agree with it. You're so unless they have someone right? there. You're getting a, a mid-career mid or later career retread, right? You know, someone's yeah. leftovers. Great quarterbacks don't become available very no. often at all. There is a reason players become available. And it's either, if it's a cap thing, understood. But if it's a, I mean, they, they are dying to get rid of him with that, with that contract. Well, think about that. Why would, why would a team who's going to need a quarterback be so willing to get rid of him? Right. Think about it. Yeah. And, you know, they're at 20 overall, uh, Chicago. So you would think, you know, if Field starts, you know, if he drifts down to 9, 10, 12 overall, 
then it's doable, right? I mean, yeah. then you might be able to give 20 and a, a first, you know, and get yeah. quote unquote, get your guy. But 20 is also in the range. Maybe, maybe Mac Jones, you know, is, is that QB five that's available, you know, or maybe it's round two with Kyle Trask or something, you know, developmental style. So there, there's options there and they're certainly in a zone, probably outside the top four, but, you know, QB five or six, uh, certainly possible. I wanted to ask you about David Montgomery uh, uh-huh. because I, it's, it's interesting that, I was going to be before the final month of the season. He was going to be one of my guys because I was like, he's simmering there. He's got two years left on his rookie deal. He's been sneaky good as a three, a three down back. And, and I think he's going to go for really cheap. Then he was like the number one fantasy running back for the final four five, six games. Uh, schedule was a part of that, but he was rocking. And, but interesting, it really doesn't move the needle. Like from where people had him in November to now, like in startup drafts and just overall valuation, he's still around running back 20 or so. And I find that interesting that you have a young player with day two pedigree and his profile coming off a big finish to the year and a big year. And now that doesn't move the needle pretty much at all where running back 15, 18, 20, like there's not heavy competition for that zone. And yet you have a young guy that's kind of insulated. I'd be surprised if the bears make a big move, you know, with a day two back or anything like that, bringing in and challenging Montgomery, that it's interesting that, that, that finish and that sort of see, look at this potential that he, he has ceiling wise, didn't really move the needle much at all. When it comes to David Montgomery, a lot of that comes from the schedule, like you like you said. Many people looking at that schedule saying that was an easy schedule that the Bears faced, but they did use Montgomery more. The fear is that they won't. The fear is that they move away from him again. And the fear is also that they don't do anything with that offensive line, and that offensive line is not very good. So you got a bad offensive line with a player that shows – you know, he's got, he's got the initial burst, but there's not a lot of athleticism there, but he's got the vision. Well, that vision comes with him relying on his offensive line and those gaps opening and developing for him at the same time. He can create, but he can only do so much on his own, like we saw at Iowa State. There's only so much that he can do on his own to create for himself. That offensive line has got to shore up. So with the schedule at the end becoming so easy, with the usage there, but we've seen them fall away from the run game. And with David Montgomery with that offensive line, there, there are some concerns there. Now, here's what I will say. He's talented. And like we've discussed already, talent will rise. If they they got to use him in the pass game. It's, it's part of his calling card as who he is as a running back. He, he's a PPR guy. Use him that way. You know, and with Tariq Cohen coming back, I'm a little concerned about how that is going to split with, with the with the receptions. Tariq Cohen was a guy that, you know, his first four or five, you know, half a season of sample size in the NFL, you're like, wow, this guy's a dynamo, right? I mean, coming in and he was making guys miss and it's eroded ever since. It seems like his dynamic movement, you know, and he's cropped up with some injuries that he's just slowed down comparatively to defenses and defenders in one-on-one situations. And it seems like he's almost, you know, worn out his welcome, so to speak. And it does feel like 2021 needs to be the year of Montgomery in the, in the passing game, because Cohen coming back, you know, that was one thing, you know, when he came in and I was like, well, he's going to a depth chart with Tariq Cohen and Cohen, if he does one thing, it's going to be a catch a bunch of passes. So that's mm-hmm. bad news for David Montgomery, where it's, you know, big guy, 
three down skill set, could catch 40, 50 plus passes. But if he's going to a depth chart with a guy, you know, Tariq Cohen or Naheem Hines, guys like that, where they're going to do one thing. If they do, they might not have 50 carries in a season, but if they do one thing, it's going to be a bunch of targets. And so that was my big concern. And now with Cohen coming back, I hope Cohen doesn't come back to a big role, you know, that he is truly an ancillary guy, a change of pace, you know, maybe, you know, doing a, a two minute drill, you know, here and there, but, but not a guy that's always in on second and long and third and long. Uh, Cause I think Montgomery offers, offers a lot more. And frankly, you, you generally see running backs and, and rookies get, they try to squeeze more out of them as they get and develop to that, you know, final year or two of their rookie deal. Yeah. If they didn't resign him, I, I would feel better, but the fact that they resigned him, even though I don't have a lot of faith in the coaching staff, it does tell me that they have plans for him or else they wouldn't have done that. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. So moving on to the for, to the college landscape. So when you look ahead beyond 2021, this could be a freshman. This could be someone that you know maybe was a, was a junior this year and should have been a part of the draft class. Yet they went back to school. Is there someone that really has you excited? You know that that you say they. I have to wait. 12 months, two years, I st- they are still you know, on the college landscape for now. But I think they're going to be, I'm not going to, dare I say, you know, your new Elijah Moore or your new Rondale Moore or whoever what your it guy is. Like who is, who is that person still in college that when they get there, you're just going to be on rooftop shouting his name for the whole draft process? So I have two and I'll switch positions for the, for the sake of this podcast for a second. Inside linebacker? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Bajan Robinson is incredible and he's going to be a superstar. There are questions between him and uh, uh, Brees Hall as far as who won A, won B. There, when, you, when you watch Robinson, there is something just special about the way he like, He has the look of an NFL blue chip running back and he has that demeanor where he's just like, you're not going to stop me. You're not. And he has the size to prove it. And he has the size to do it. He's got great movement ability. He patiently watches the gaps and the lanes open and he takes the proper one. He doesn't fall for the peaking linebacker. He doesn't fall for the defensive tackle who's about to break into the break into his lane. He knows they precisely when to cut and evade. For a young player such as that to have those traits and that skill set with the size, the pass capturing ability, and the status as a five-star recruit, I'm, I'm over the moon for Robinson. Okay. And your other guy? Garrett Wilson. Okay. Garrett freaking Wilson. <laughs> so in high school, I, I watched this kid. And do you ever watch a player and automatically you're like, There's, man, he's good. And I said that before, but he is good. Like, that is not normal for a kid to be able to do what he just did. Like this is something that you would see from a sophomore or a junior in college. And he was, he, the way he was running his routes and we had discussion of Debbie watch for like, it almost seemed lazy, but like it wasn't lazy. It was strategic. Like he knew exactly when to separate. He knew exactly how to tempo the speed and his route. It, it's unbelievable. And as I watch his film at, at Ohio state, I get even more excited for this kid because he's just wise beyond his years with the amount of nuance and understanding within his route running. And it's not even that he's not a big kid, but he plays at the top of the ladder. So, so competitively that you would think he's six, three, six, four, 215 pounds. And he's not, uh, if you watch the, uh, army all American game, man, that, that was his calling card. 
just going over guys, catching over their heads. A lot of that does have to do with the fact that I, I do question some of the speed within his routes, but his ability to separate and understand exactly how to manipulate defenders with his eyes, body mechanics, footwork, uh, and just twitchiness within his torso, I am not concerned about that whatsoever. I'm super excited about Garrett Wilson. Yeah, that's the thing that when I started going to the Senior Bowl and seeing the same routes back to back to back with wide receivers, and, and you see it sometimes with running backs, but wide receivers, it's pronounced where I call them one speed guys. You know, they basically go out and they're trying to run, you know, let's call it 90% speed all the time. And, but, but defenders are going to get right onto that, right? I mean, they can, they can, if you give them the same look two, three times, they're going to be right on you. So it's, it's, can you give them the fake? Can you, you know, go 60% and then at the last five steps, can you zoom up to 90, catch up to the ball, late reaction, get your hands up at the last second? Like, these are the types of things that, like when you start to see the same routes back to back by different players in the same setting, that's when you really get a sense of that. Um, and, and yeah, you kind of talked about that with Garrett Wilson that, you know, he can tell a story. He can do different things going up to his stem that that compensates from, you know, you don't have to be four, four, five. You can be four, six, oh, if you can do that, if you can get, vary your speeds. I always say it's like, it's kind of like a baseball pitcher you know, or I play tennis or whatever, like if you give a different speed. So like Greg Maddox is my favorite pitcher of all time. He probably had a 90 mile an hour fastball, but what did he do? He could, he could, he could throw the slider, you know, one way he could throw the breaker the other way. And he also like, he would also throw just, you know, a change up at 80 and then he'd throw a curveball at 76. And then the 90 feels fast because he gives you the old rope a dope. And I think a wide receiver like setting you up is the same way. Like they never truly give you the full, I'm going to run all the way 25 yards at full speed. They don't give you that very often. So you're setting them up when you do it. All of a sudden you're like, wow, he got by him by three yards. Well, that's because the defender is, is being rope a doped a certain way, you know, for, for 30 straight routes of other things. And then finally they get over the top. And like you said, they can leverage and, and go, uh, go up and make a play, but they had the leverage because, you know, they, for, for 10, 20 routes and reps in a row, they were giving them something different. You know, that's something that unless you're watching all 22 and unless you're focusing on that player while you're watching on TV or something, it's really tough to get that sense with wide receiver that, that you're kind of, you're kind of, uh, diagnosing here. Um, all right, you ready for, uh, I have, I have five questions that we're going to rapid fire here to close things out. And so these are, uh, let's see a little bit of football, a little bit, not football. So this will be a little get to know you session here with Jason. Um, what's a crazy hobby or obsession you've had in your life for even a moment in time where it could be something you collect. It could be an activity where you're like, wow, for a whole month, I did a lot of this, you know, and now it's like, that's, that's nutty. I wouldn't call it nutty, but I was huge into skateboarding for a, for a while there and I was not good. And I kept trying and I was terrible. <laughs> I, I thought I was doing kickflip and come to find out, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but everybody looked cool doing it and everybody was doing it. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to be left out, but sometimes you got to just throw the white flag and realize that, you know, it was good for a moment of time. I was intrigued by it. I was interested in it, but now it's got to go. Did you wear, uh, you wear pads? Do you have any battle scars or? I, I do have battle scars. I have two on my knee. Uh, I did not wear pads because I didn't want to be that guy who goes out there wearing pads. <laughs> I didn't even wear a helmet and that was stupid too. I probably should have. Um, so it was like all skate park and everything, right? You were absolutely. doing ramps and everything. Okay. Yeah. I had my well, first shirt rails? and my simple shoes and <laughs> it was ridiculous. So, okay. Yeah. I always see the, you know, those videos, if it's jackass or otherwise, where they try to like grind rails, like down a, a staircase and stuff. 
and they end up flat on their back or they separate their shoulder and all this stuff. Wow. Yeah. Don't uh, fall to peer pressure and you have to actually get up to the rails to make that happen. And I could never do that. <laughs> uh, if you could only watch one genre of movie for the rest of your life or one that's just of a single actor or actress's movies as a, as a genre, which would you pick? Ooh. So I am obsessed with uh, Die Hard. I am absolutely obsessed with Die Hard. So it would be the action Bruce Willis, but I'm talking like, I don't, the new stuff I'm not too into. I'm talking like the old lethal weapon diehards, like that sort of genre. I absolutely love that stuff. It's crazy. Christmas time. I'm sorry. Die Hard is a Christmas movie <laughs> and I will watch it over and over and over. And I do not get sick of it. So that would be my genre. I haven't seen all the diehards. Don't hate me. Oh. Um, but I will say oh. the one that I like is the one that's, uh, was it live free or die hard? The one about the cyber cyber. Okay, that was actually pretty good. Yeah. I the one that's about expect, DC. That was pretty and, good. Yeah. They, they go into the, uh, you know, social security agency and yep. all that stuff. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty good watch. That was a pretty good one. I'll, I'll give them, I'll give for, them for a sequel. Sure. Yeah. Yes. I, I do like the original die hard though. I, you know, I, I didn't watch it until a few years ago and I, I kind of get why people like it. It's definitely up there. All right, number three, if you could choose the going away number one position at their position in fantasy for 2021. So this could be personal teams that you have. This could be just a, a voting and rooting interest that you have. That would be a great story for this player to be the go away top player at their position. Who would you choose and why? Okay, I want to make sure I understand. So a position that I no longer want available? No, no, no. So like you can choose, it, like here's an example. I choose Ezekiel Elliott will finish as the running back one in 2021. Mm. I choose Terry McLaurin to be wide receiver one. So whatever skill position you can choose, they're going to be the top fantasy guy this coming season. It's so, it's so hard, but I would love to see Brian Edwards top off. Like he would, he would be the one I would love wow, yeah. to see be like, up there, but I know it's not, I know it's not going to happen. So no, let me, no, no. it's a rooting interest. You can say that. You can, no, you, it doesn't have to be realistic. Okay. All right. That would just, All right. that would, that would align with what you think he's capable of. And yeah, I, and again, and I fully think he's capable. Again, of I think it's possible. I mean, because you know what, that number one role, you know, if, if it's up uh, for grabs. Nelson Aguilar is gone and he could be the wide receiver one for that team. What if they take a big step forward? I mean, it's, it's possible. He gets 140, 150 targets and 13 touchdowns. That's possible. If Darren Waller decides to not come to it, work. What if he gets hurt? Hey, a lot, a lot of things. All it takes true. is one injury. You never know. All right. Uh, <laughs> question four. If you had to move to any other state that you've never lived before, where would you go and why? Oh, North Carolina. Okay. I, I have driven through there. I've been there a couple of times. It seems to have everything that I want. It's got the beaches. It's got the mountains. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It doesn't snow a ton, but it will snow. Like I, I want that. Like I live in Florida. So I personally just want to get rid of the humidity for a little while, but it's been so flat all my life that I'm ready for some mountains. So I feel like North Carolina will give me everything I want. So definitely North Carolina. Yeah, Raleigh's really cool. Um, I've been there in passing, you know, and and uh, yeah, Charlotte as well. You know, they have some bigger cities. You know, you can live on the outskirts, maybe something like that. And like you said, you're mm -hmm. not, not too far from almost anything. Yeah, yeah. Try to find. I always say in Florida, what's the what's the the highest mountain? Uh, it's whatever the bridge is. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> the local it's the bridge. bridge. It's like it went up fifty feet. <laughs> I think um, the Sunshine Skyway Bridge is the highest point in Florida. Yep. All right. Yeah. I love these questions because I like about Bruce Willis movies. I never would have guessed, even though we've talked for an hour now. Uh, <laughs> if you had to play a trivia game involving any TV show, uh, which would you consider yourself the biggest subject matter expert uh, of the things you've watched? Oh, man. So 
this this is because my family literally is this show. Everybody loves Raymond. Absolutely, everybody loves Raymond. My, my mom, my dad, like it, it's my family in that show. They're absolutely insanely crazy. So, are you are you Raymond or are you the brother? I, I don't think I'm anybody. Oh, okay. I just feel like I like my me. my dad is the upset dude, but he's you know like. And he also is kind of like my grandfather. My mom is definitely Marie. Like it's just all, it's all there. And because I can like understand it and live it. It's yeah. That show is hilarious to me. Okay. Uh, as we always do, uh, what's your final thoughts? This could be something we didn't cover. Uh, it was on the tip of your tongue. Boy, I hope we talk about this could be a player could be a thought about, uh, about the process of scouting and the draft process could be anything. Uh, what would you like to impart uh, wisdom and leave folks with? Okay. I'm going to blast through two things. One, we got to stop overthinking the scouting process. We really do. It's, it's not, it's not a exact science, but it's, it's, it's not that difficult. If a player is good and they really just check the boxes and you, you just know, and you have a good feeling, then, then run with it. Also have fun with fantasy football to enjoy your team, draft the guys you want. You know, don't, don't keep guys on your roster that you just, oh, one day they might do something on the depth chart, but I don't really like them. Well, then what are you doing? Have fun, make trades and get the guys you want that you can root for. It makes it so much more fun. Uh, the other thing is Debbie watch guys. I, I got to give them a shout out hardest workers. And I love that group. Uh, we're about to put out the 2021 Debbie watch on March 1st, 277 profiles, dominated ratings, tiered rankings, uh, you name it, it's on there. And we've put, hours upon hours upon hours into it. So I have to plug that in. Yeah. Uh, Katie is the one that turned me on to Devi watch. Um, I I've, I've read the guide multiple times. Uh, it, it's a, an invaluable resource. And, and I say to folks, even if you don't play Devi, this is the part I think that that is the disconnect. Even if you don't play in a league with Devi formally, uh, the value that you accumulate from tracking players, you know, you might watch a few college games during the season, but a lot of times you're, you're obsessed with the NFL, but so if you don't sit down and watch a ton of games throughout the college season, you're missing a lot. And when you start tracking players, freshmen to, to sophomore, to junior, to NFL, your working knowledge of those players by the time the NFL draft process gets here is so much better than you trying to catch up and get familiar with players in January through April, or even some that wait till the NFL draft to happen. And then it's like, oh, let me, let me see what I think about this player that my team drafted in the third round. Like, then you're playing catch up and then all of a sudden your rookie draft is happening and you're not making as informed of a decision as, Hey, I've been following them since, since they were 18 years old, like you're working. So even if you don't play in Debbie and I encourage everyone to play in at least one league at some point to see if you like it. But if you don't, I, I still think having that knowledge of Debbie and still college players is invaluable. It's going to make you such a better rookie evaluator. And like you said, it's going to eliminate a lot of the white noise, right? Of, of, Hey, I've been watching a player for multiple seasons now, and I've been tracking them, you know, throughout their college career, not just what they last did, you know, in a bowl game leading up to the, the draft process for them. So, yeah. So Debbie watch is absolutely one of those guides uh, for folks to check out. And like you said, it's coming out soon. Um, any other places they should find you uh, and I can, you know, again, on Twitter and otherwise, but, but reiterate where during the next couple months, especially they can find you. Uh, really just uh, on Twitter at all purpose scout. Uh, you'll find a lot of the stuff on there and at deviwatch.com. Uh, I would say follow all the guys at Debbie watch uh, and Chad, you guys, I'll tell you what, 
I think the dynasty community is just one big family, right? If it wasn't for dynasty, if it wasn't for fantasy, we wouldn't know each other. I wouldn't get a chance to talk to Katie. Like that's, what's so cool about this. And, you know, just bringing us all together. I, I love that dynamic of it. So I would, you know, you can follow me, but again, it's, it's about everybody. And I also appreciate everything that you guys do. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, meeting new people, but also I think what you said, have fun. The word mm-hmm. fantasy is in the title. So yes. <laughs> this is not, this is not, we have to, we have to arduously, you know, uh, clench our fist and be frustrated with how the bears are building their team. This is we're, you know, we're taking the best of the best players. We're getting to be general manager to whatever small degree that we get to do it with our own teams. Um, but like you said, get the players you like, like that's the part that, you know, if I'm giving people draft advice, I will always say like, you know, here's who I'm considering. If they give three, four players, like who, who would you take here? You know, I'll give my input but i'll say this like if if you one of these is your guy first of all don't ask me because it's your guy and just go for it and the other part is you want your team like if if you have a guy like i get all the time asked you know do you want to i you have 10 different rookie drafts going on you know at 103 do you want to do something different or get a few shares of a, a few different guys i'm like no because I have one take last year. What my, like I was like, if I have one Oh one in five leagues, I was taking Jonathan Taylor every single time. Why? I love him. So why would I mix it up and take a couple different shares of, uh, of two or three different players? That that's nonsensical to me. Yes. It's high, high variance, right? If you get it wrong, you know, all of a sudden, but you're going down with your guy. That's what I always say. Like I would rather go down if Brian Edwards never works out. And I drafted him plenty last year. If he doesn't work out, that to me is a good beat. Because I trusted my eval and I drafted him where I had him, you know, in that range of the later second round when I had those picks. And it was behind, you know, Antonio Gibson or, you know, I had a clear target hierarchy. And when it got to Brian Edwards, you just take him if it's five leagues or if it's 50 leagues. And I think people kind of want to hedge their bet of what if I'm wrong? Well, you're in this, this whole thing to have your own team to make decisions and, and enjoy when you're right. That's the whole thing. You, if Brian Edwards works out, you're going to enjoy it far more than like, oh, I don't really know. You know, I'll draft him a little bit, but not a lot. That feeling that if he hits and you shaded away and, and, and could have had double the shares and you don't because you were just a little nervous about going all in on somebody, then, you know, you're in the wrong business because you want to like, you spend all this time watching tape and go over in profiles and tracking players. Take your guys. That's all you get to the end game of being on the clock step up and take your guy. And, and I'm glad that that was one of your points as well is just it's fantasy and it's your team and make it so. Make it so that you actually have the roster that you want. And if you overpay for somebody, if you draft someone a little early. All right. So we got Jason DiRienzo at All Purpose Scout. Debbie Watch, as he mentioned, I am Chad Parsons. And until next time, never settle. Refuse to be average and keep building those decks. 